Hi, my name is Dr. Mark Allen Derry, and I'm an infectious diseases specialist in New Orleans. Hi, my name is Doc Griggs, and I'm a community medicine doctor and health literacy expert. This is the Noise Filter Podcast, where an infectious diseases physician, that's me, and a health literacy and communications expert, that's me, talk about what you need to know about COVID-19. You can find more information about this show and our other daily live updates and Q&A show at noisefiltershow.com. So let's get started. All right, so this is one of our favorite segments here on uh, COVID Noise Filter, and that is our public health review. Here are a couple of uh, great stories for us to uh, go over. The first will be under the category of viral transmission. And one of the most important questions is, who is at highest rates of COVID-19 infections in a hospital setting? In other words, when we're looking at an area where you have the highest rates of infections, that of course is going to be the hospital, who is most at risk? So this was a study that happened in New Jersey out of Rutgers University. They looked at 4,000 employees, and what they found was those that are phlebotomist and maintenance and housekeeping staff far, 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 far and away had higher rates of antibodies and actual virus were actively infected, may have been asymptomatic compared to nurses and physicians. Now, the authors do admit that they can't tell if the infections came from communities versus the hospital. But what they did admit was that the hospital administration may have prioritized the health of the physicians and nurses over that of the workers who did not come in contact with patients. And while this breaks my heart every time I talk about the study and every time I have to read it. I do appreciate that the authors of the study did come clean and were forthcoming with that. Doc, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, this is something that we we knew and we suspected, and it's the unsung heroes. That's right. That no one talks about. That's when right. We think about hospitals. We think about healthcare. We think about the doctors and the nurses, and that's all people talk about. Uh, no, it's everyone that allows the system to be able to function. It's MAs. It's custodians. It's people that work in the cafeteria, and they go in every day. When there's shortages of PPEs, they suffer as well. That's exactly right. And it's so important for us to remember that the hospital support staff needs to be looked after and cared for just as the physicians and, and nurses are. And so I hope that a study like this is going to raise the awareness of hospital administrators. Okay, so let's move on and talk about some of the vaccines that we're seeing right now. But before we get into that, I do want to talk about a really interesting study that looked at a nasal spray that may prevent COVID-19 in, in ferrets. And uh, Doc Griggs and I were uh, doing our regular one-hour show when one of our viewers texted us, had we known about this nasal spray? And I had not. And I was like, there's no way nasal spray is going to protect against COVID. Wrong. This was an excellent study. It's a preprint study. It was in BioArchive. But what they essentially showed was that they used a very old, I wouldn't quite say it's old, but they used a, an older lipopeptide that's inexpensive, has a very long shelf life. It does not require refrigeration. It could be mixed in a doctor's office. It could be mixed in a pharmacy. It could be carried all over the world in some of the most remote places of the world. And what they found was then that when they took this powder and they mixed it with some solution and they were able to spray it into the noses of these ferrets, they did not get 
COVID-19. Now, we're a far cry away from being able to use this in humans right now, but it is safe in humans and it offers 24 hours of protection. And so it's almost like wearing a like an invisible mask. Now, of course, you're going to still want to wear a mask or what have you, but that spray coated the inside of your nose and it protected against coronavirus. And it's really fascinating. Do you remember how it works, Dr. Riggs? I, I don't. Remember. Do you remember it was the bait and switch with the key? The bait and switch. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the, the coronavirus? Yeah. It, it sticks the it, yeah. the powder, puts the wrong, wrong key, key into the into the virus. So you put your mechan- keys on a table, I sneak, and I go to Lowe's, and I just change up a ridge and make a bootleg key and put it back in your pocket. Yeah. So you think the coronavirus thinks it's going to get in. Oh, I got the key. Wait, wait. It's not. Wait. <laughs> It's fascinating, yeah, isn't pretty, it? It's pretty awesome, actually. So this is a nasal spray that prevents COVID-19. <laughs> it works for about 24 hours in ferrets. Uh, but let's see. Emphasize that part again. That's so right. So we want to manage our expectations. That's right. I know all the ferrets. Now, you ferrets out there that are listening, you can be extremely happy, <laughs> even though it's not on the market yet. But make sure to ask your- That's right. Your so again, check your local tree pharmacy or something. That's right. It adheres to nasal and lung cells for about 24 hours, and it may act as an opportunity for moms to be able to care for their children or for people to care for their parents or their spouses, and they could be close to them without risk of, of contracting the COVID-19 virus. But folks understand this is, for this to be practical and for us to see it, it we're years away, uh, months to years. Probably uh, months, months, yeah, to, months, months to years months. because we have to test it and it has to become novel so we can use it in our species with this. I mean, it's, but it's fun. It's a, it's good. It's a, it's a fun story. It's an interesting one, yeah. right? All right, so what does Pfizer's COVID vaccine results really mean? Okay, so we're going to talk about Pfizer's, and then we'll talk about Moderna's. On the day of this recording, Moderna also had just come out with their claim of a 94.5% efficaciousness of their vaccine. But let's be very clear, there's two different words that we want to use here. A virus is efficacious in the setting. In fact, Doc Riggs should be talking about this because he's the expert in, in clinical trials. But when you're in a clinical trial, you talk about something being efficacious. When you're out in the real world, you talk about something being effective. In real world, you talk about, does it work? (laughs) All right. So here was the first compelling evidence that vaccine can prevent COVID-19, but there's still a lot of questions about it. So first off, the vaccine candidate is called the BNT162B2. I'm sure they will have a new name for it. And what it did show was that it was found to be more than 90% efficacious in preventing COVID-19 in the participants. The analysis evaluated 94 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in trial participants. Now, the study enrolled almost 44,000 participants, but let's be very clear, at the time that they did the study, at that time, they only had about 30,000 participants as well. And just a quick behind-the-curtain sneak peek, Moderna also had about the same amount of confirmed cases of COVID-19, with again, with about 30,000 patients. So we do see some equivalency of, of the results. But there are some questions that remain, and I just want to go over those real quick and and pick Doc Riggs's mind about this. One, the nature of infections that the vaccine can protect against. We don't know about it. Are they mostly mild cases or do they include significant numbers of moderate and severe cases? So we don't know what kind of cases they prevent. So that... (laughs) That's important. Right. That's an important right. detail. <laughs> is it, does it just prevent uh, the severe, but you we, can still, right. Right. It needs to be stratified. I, right. I was, I was listening. Was there 
to more? No. Right, no. Okay. We don't know. Okay, so we don't know about that. Now, again, of course, this has been released. This is an announcement by press release, so we haven't seen the final. Okay, so does the vaccine prevent asymptomatic, mildly symptomatic COVID from transmitting the virus because a transmission-blocking vaccine could really accelerate the end of the pandemic. So that is something that's really important for us. How well does the vaccine work in different groups of participants? Pediatrics, elderly, diverse populations? We don't know. So we don't have any demographic data. No demographic. But what they say here, and I'm going to use air quotes, is that 42% had, quote unquote, diverse backgrounds of the participants in the study. So they wore different color shoes? (laughs) Again, we're just missing important democ- vital data. So, I mean, <laughs> that, jo- that joke had soul. <laughs> oh, man. It smells like feet in here. <laughs> um, the last thing is that we don't know what lasting immunity is going to look like. Yeah, and that's important. I mean, what we're seeing, folks, is Pfizer's done an amazing job. It is an exciting announcement. What this does say, just based on what we've heard, is that there's progress in that, that area of attack. That's right. Which is why you're seeing other studies like Moderna and everyone following down the path. At least there's a light down the trail that we could we could investigate. But as scientists, we need more comprehensive data before we can draw any conclusions. Again, I guess our word of the day is we need to just manage our expectations. That's right. Okay, so let's talk about COVID-19 and mental health. This is a topic that Doc Riggs and I like to focus on because it's something that people tend to forget about. It's invisible, it's highly stigmatized, and actually... Today, as we were recording our podcast, we did another story on mental health mm-hmm. and just how hard COVID-19 has affected individuals, especially as it comes to mental health. So this one here was published by the CDC. So a study that was conducted by the CDC in the MMWR, which is the Morbidity Mortality Weekly Report. And what they looked at was pediatric emergency department mental health visits. And what they found was that compared to 2019, mental health emergency department visits for those that are aged 5 to 11 was 24% higher relative to the same period in 2019. And for those aged 12 to 17, it was 31% higher. So what we are seeing is that in children, they are experiencing significant mental health issues leading to much, much higher visits to the emergency department when compared to 2019. Doc? Yeah, you know, it's hard enough being a kid just in general, being a kid, trying right. to figure out the world and what's going on. And as you go up in age, you get to your, your pubescent years and teenage years and it gets even more difficult. Now you take everything that you knew and that you had come to find comfort in and let's throw it in a, a blender and mix it up. That's right. So moving forward, monitoring children's mental health, promoting coping and resilience, and expanding access to services to support children's mental health are critical during the COVID-19 pandemic. But most importantly, as kids are developing destigmatizing mental wellness, there's a difference between mental health and mental illness. And mental wellness is attached to mental health. So emphasizing and letting kids know that it's, it's okay to feel and express it and to talk through things that that we don't understand and that sometimes the answers I don't know and we have to be okay with that. That's right. So let's talk about COVID-19 and some current events. So one of the things that's happened over the course of the last uh, week or so, something that Doc Griggs and I both silently said to ourselves, maybe even said it and texted each other about it, like, 
finally, which was that the CDC finally updated their guidance to note that wearing a mask not only protects others, but also protects the user. Surprise, surprise. Previously, the agency's guidance focused on limiting potential virus spread to others. And we talked about this a lot here, that the mask act as a source control to block exhaled virus, right? So the virus leaving your mouth. So cloth masks and studies performed on par with surgical masks as barriers for source control. So in other words, those masks that you make at home, they do a great job of blocking the virus from getting out of your mouth. But what they also then added was that the masks also prevent the inhalation of the virus as well. So it protects you not only from exhaling the virus, but also, which protects others, yep. but also prevents you from inhaling the virus, which also protects yourself from the virus, Doc. Who, who would have thought that if you inhale and exhale and you, <laughs> and, you, and you block the passages in order to do so, it might work both ways. That's exactly who knew? right. Absolutely. Yeah. And let me just add to that story real quickly. And we've talked about it on another uh, noise filter. But I just want to also add here that uh, we're very, very happy that President-elect Biden announces a coronavirus task force. This task force will have subgroups that focus on issues related to the response, including testing, vaccine distribution, and personnel protective equipment, PPE. The task force plans on increasing dramatically testing. They're going to build a U.S. public health jobs corps that's going to have 100,000 Americans conduct contact tracing. They're going to also include ramping up production of PPE equipment as well as implementing a vaccine distribution plan. And I just want to give uh, props to Dr. Marcella Nunez-Smith, who's an amazing individual. She's going to be co-chair. She's Yale Dean for Health Equity Research, Dr. David Kessler, who's a former FDA commissioner, and Dr. Vivek Murthy, all three of these are going to be co-chairs, and, and he particularly is the former Surgeon General. But these are three people with a great amount of experience and diversity that I think is going to move us forward in the coronavirus pandemic fight. Super duper dope. Thanks for listening to the Noise Filter Daily Podcast. Dr. Derry and I have a daily show at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time where we go into more detail on stories and answer your questions about COVID-19. You can find Doc Griggs at DocGriggs1 on social media, and you can find me at Dr. Mark Allen Derry or at D-R-D-E-R-Y. You can follow us at Noise Filter on Instagram, Noise Filter NOLA on Twitter, and for more information about us and the show, you can go to NoiseFilterShow.com. Hey, Doc Griggs, any last words? Remember, get checked, get fit, get moving. And remember to get some rest to boost your immune system. And Doc, protect yourself and others by staying home and please wear masks when you go outside. Remember, health is a human right.